favorite childhood movie? Go. All right, sounds like you guys like movies. Any favorite childhood movies you guys wanna share? The High and the Mighty. The High and the Mighty. Never heard of it. <laughs> sounds good though, sounds good. Wizard of Oz, E.T. Cinderella. Cinderella. Parent Trap. My kids just watched that yesterday. They love that movie. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Him to Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Huh? Pacific Rim. Awesome. We're very diverse. The Sandlot? Who said the Sandlot? Do you know we're watching a clip from the Sandlot? Straight up. Cuz. All right. One of my favorite movies from my childhood is The Sandlot. Let's, let's look at this picture. Uh, not the movie yet, not the movie yet. Go back. Yes, perfect. All right, so this is the 25th anniversary of The Sandlot. Not today, but like this year, 25th anniversary. So I'm assuming a lot of you have seen it, Sandlot. A movie about these boys, they play baseball every day. In the sandlot, in their neighborhood, they just play all the time. Live, breathe, play baseball. It's a great summer adventure movie. Just kids and their shenanigans. Lots of fun. So I'm going to show you a clip from the movie The Sandlot. Some of you are disappointed, I can tell. I wasn't sure the age group of some of the people here, and so I didn't really want to play that whole clip, but it's funny. Um, lots of insults are traded back and forth. Um, some just humorous, and some like, ooh, where on earth did you think of that? Um, but the worst insult that Ham shares 
the guy in the middle who was like, come on. He says, you play ball like a girl. <laughs> and we're fighting words. So my question in showing that clip is this. Have you ever been there? Maybe you've never been on that field. Maybe you've never argued in that way with boys like that. But have you ever been there where it was definitely us versus them? Ugh. Oh my gosh. Them in their fancy outfits. They have uniforms. They treat us like dirt. Can you believe that they play and they, they have cleats? Oh, them. Right? We've all been there at different points and in different ways. Sometimes it's in our own families, which is really sad. Sometimes it's the people at work. Sometimes it's just people in culture. But there's definitely an us versus them. Have you ever experienced us versus them in the church? Large C, church. Have you ever experienced us versus them in little C, church? Family of Christ, here us versus them. Let's look at a couple things. First, this picture. These are all the denominations, maybe not all of them, but a lot of denominations in the Christian church. Is there ever any us versus them? You look at Quakers and how they worship compared to assemblies of God. A little different, right? You have one little red box all by itself. That's the Lutherans. <laughs> I don't really know why that is, because I did not create this. I found this online. Um, you look at Methodists and Baptists, Calvary Chapel, E-Free, Amish, Russian Orthodox. Lots of differences. And there's plenty of times that it's been us versus them. Can you believe them? They do that in worship. They have snakes. Hey, maybe that's a little far. Um, but there's a lot of us versus them that can happen between denominations. And I'm here to say, all of these denominations believe in Jesus and want to worship and follow him. And they, they decipher this book differently. All right? So I'm not here to say, oh my gosh. But I want to point out, there's a lot of division in the Christian church. Sometimes it hits a little more closer to home. Sometimes we have cultural differences or issues. Have you ever met anyone, whether they were LCMS, whether they were another Christian, whether they attended church with you, maybe they were in your life group that was a Democrat or a Republican, and you said, what? You voted how? You, you believe what? Maybe you've talked with people, strong Christians who love Jesus, who differ from you on their opinion of marriage equality. Or maybe it's pro-choice versus pro-life. Maybe it's guns at school. Maybe it's immigration. Maybe there's issues within our own church, family of Christ, that people differ differently, believe differently. They say, no, it should be this way, or it should be that way. Worship should look like this. It should be handled this way. We should have this happen here. We should not have this happen here. We should do this with the budget. We should not do this with the budget. Right? Differences within family of Christ sometimes. 
Way back in 19, I think it was 63, a famous pastor said this, Martin Luther King Jr. We must face the fact that in America, the church is still the most segregated major institution in America. At 11 on Sunday morning, when we stand and sing and Christ has no east or west, we stand at the most segregated hour in this nation. This is tragic. Do we believe that since 1963 that has changed much? Has it gotten better? Has it gotten worse? Right? We look at our churches and we see division, frustration, anger, separation. When I think about how a church looks when it is definitely dealing with those issues, whether it's big C or little c, it looks like this. In my mind, it looks like this. A church that is fighting within itself can't stand. If people within a body are so focused on what divides them, it's going to be broken down, defeated, not used, not effective. So now I want to go into our context for today, our text for today, and I want to think a little bit about context. So you guys have heard of Jews and Gentiles? Okay, good, Michael has. Um, so Jews and Gentiles, um, random question before we go into this. Do we have any people of Jewish descent here? Ah, that's why Michael knew. Anyone else? We got a couple. Awesome. At first service, we had one. Um, so vast majority of us here are what we would call Gentiles. Gentiles are people of non-Jewish descent. Okay? Now, back in Jesus' day, there was a specific viewpoint that Jews had of Gentiles, and this is what they said. From the Jewish perspective, Gentiles were often seen as pagans who did not know the true God. During Jesus' time, many Jews took such pride in their cultural and religious heritage that they considered Gentiles to be unclean, calling them dogs and the uncircumcision. Gentiles and the half-Gentile Samaritans were viewed as enemies to be shunned. So you think about the context in Jesus' day. Gentiles can't even go into the inner parts of the temple. They have an outer courtyard where they get to stay. Gentiles are viewed as <sighs> heathens, don't know God. And sometimes that was totally the right definition, right? Like, sometimes other groups of people who were non-Jewish didn't worship God. They sacrificed. They did plenty of stuff that was abominable. Did I say that right? Abominable? Sometimes I try to say that and I mess it up. Um, Gentiles were just seen very poorly, right? Keep that in mind as we read from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 is where our text comes from today. We're going to start out verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, most of us in this room, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Gentiles were in a tough spot. They didn't have an easy path to get to God. 
They did their own thing. They worshiped their own gods. They were far from God. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So can we get an amen for what Jesus did for us? You guys are good Baptists. Christ... Christ has brought us near. By his blood, Gentiles can be close to God. Verse 14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I'm going to read that again. For he, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two, Gentile and Jew, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. Think about that for a second. Gentiles, far from God, looked down on, disgusting, frustrating, confused, brought near, welcomed in, the dividing wall of hostility being destroyed. And when I read that, I go, all right, what, what's the dividing wall of hostility? What is that? Well, let's read verse 14 and 15 again. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Jesus fulfilled the law, and when he came, he destroyed the barrier that separated Jew from Gentile. Because who did not have to follow the law? The Gentiles. They didn't have to do any of that stuff. They were still, without having to obey the law, brought near. Jesus lived out and fulfilled the law. Now, when I think about a dividing wall, I tend to think about something else, and it comes from Matthew. So if you brought your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to read starting at verse 50. This is right as Jesus is dying. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. The curtain was torn in two. Now let's think about that for a second. Let's look at a diagram of what the temple was like. So obviously, Gentiles not close to this. 
They're on the outer courtyard. Priests here in the holy place doing priestly things. But once a year, once a year, priest goes through the veil into the holy of holies. Just once a year. And they would tie a rope around his foot because if he as a sinner met his death being in the presence of God, no one else wanted to go in. So they would drag him out if he died. Holy of holies. Let's read what it says on our next slide. Hebrews 9, 1 through 9 tells us that in the temple, a veil separated the holy of holies, the earthly dwelling place of God's presence from the rest of the temple where men dwelt. This signified that man was separated from God by sin. Only the high priest was permitted to pass beyond this veil once each year to enter into God's presence for all of Israel and make atonement for their sins. When Jesus died, the curtain was torn in two. Look at this picture. Can you imagine what it would have been like if you were there? How many years have you spent walking around the temple, doing your duty, and you see the curtain that separates God from you, keeps you safe from God, torn in two. And it's not like it was like, oh, this is a sheet. Huh. Thick curtain, huge curtain, top to bottom, torn in two. The dividing wall between God and man done away with. So when I think about God's death on the cross, what Jesus did for us, he broke down two walls. He broke down the wall between us, Jew and Gentile, and he broke down the wall that separates us from him. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 19. Consequently, you, Gentiles, are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, the Israelites, and members of God's household. Read that again. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. We have been brought near. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? What that must have looked like? I imagine it to be the boys playing baseball on the field in the sandlot, starting to hug one another, genuinely liking one another, playing baseball together, supporting and encouraging one another because they have a common thing that they love to do, which is baseball. Instead of being divided, they come together and celebrate a game that they love. Let's read 19 again. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God is taking Jew and Gentile and making a new temple. A new temple where Gentiles are allowed to be. Let's look at that picture I showed you. In my brain, this is what it looks like when a church is divided. But then God shows up and he says, no, I'm building you into something new. I'm building you into this. Now toggle back and forth really quick. Took me a long time to find a church that would match that picture really well. <laughs> okay, stop for a second. Keep it on the new one. So imagine this. Look at the transformation, right? Not broken down and busted anymore, but white-ish. Pure, transformed, changed because of what God does, building the body of believers, Jew or Gentile, into a new body, okay? Galatians says it really well. Galatians chapter 3, 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Think about that for a second. All of these different ways that people are divided, Jesus says, it's gone. You're all one. Now think about how we allow ourselves to be divided sometimes. Is there someone, is there a group of people, is there one person in particular here at church that you just kind of smile and you say, hi. Or maybe you just don't even look at them. Maybe, maybe they've hurt you because of something they've said or something they believe. Maybe it's a position that they took regarding a church issue. Is there any us versus them happening here? Because I recognize if there is, Jesus doesn't want it that way. He broke down everything that divides us. He wants us to be one. So next time, if you start sensing in yourself this rising up of... Ugh. and you want to use words like ham, you play ball like a girl. Recognize. Lord, transform my heart. Change me and make me new that I might love that person. I might love that group as you call me to because God has created us uniquely and differently. And sometimes it's just differences in preference, right? It's just difference in 
in perspective of how we appreciate or maybe how we connect with God or what we believe is, we passionately believe this needs to happen. This is what a healthy church looks like. Sometimes it's just preference. So don't let it divide us. Let's look at a couple closing thoughts. Let's act like we're one. And I think a lot of times we do. But I also recognize that we're sinners. And this is a church made up of sinners. And I recognize that we get frustrated sometimes or we want things a different way. Let's remember that we are one and let's act like it. Even if you don't feel like it, let's act like it. Second, let love rule. It's because of Jesus' death that there is no division amongst us anymore. And he did that because he loves us and he wants his love to pour out to those not only here, but outside these walls. And if a church divided can't stand because it's not loving one another well, then how are we supposed to reach the people who don't know him? And the only way that we can learn to let love rule is to abide and let God be the one that transforms us and changes us, that we depend on him. He is the vine. We are the branches. So I wanted to close with a reading on love from 1 John. May this be, may this continue to be how family of Christ loves one another. First John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him, that we might abide in him, that his spirit might live through us. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. May we always be a church that loves one another well. Satan wants to divide. Satan wants it to be us versus them. That is not what God wants. And we can clearly see from Scripture, he loves combining people that are far apart. He loves bringing people close to him that were far from him. That's his joy and his pleasure. And if you recognize in your heart a hardness there, ask God, take it away. Create in me a clean heart, Lord. Help me to love as you call me to. Help us to be one. In your most holy and blessed name I pray, amen.